It's time now for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Diels. You can find our group on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter. And where else are we? Google Play. I forget where else. It's been a while since I've done one of these. On the internet somewhere. Somewhere on the internet. Just look for it. Wait a minute. You already found it. The reason we're doing this, I am sitting here at a Swiss chalet restaurant in London, Ontario, with two fellow podcasters and... Maybe two of the biggest collectors I've ever met in my life. Mike Dimas from the Canadian Pinball Podcast and the London, Ontario Pinball League. Hi, Mike. Yo. And you know this guy, Bruce Nightingale from the Silverball Saloon and also from Slam Tail Podcast. Hello, Bruce. Hello, sir. How are you today? Welcome to Canada, eh? Hey, take off, eh? <laughs> uh, so we'll call this episode the Canadian Slam Tilt Pinball Profile Podcast. All right, that's nice. what, winner. The reason I want to talk to you too, one because you're friends, but also is because I don't know two people who collectively have purchased more games in their lifetime. And have you ever stopped and thought about how many you've had, Bruce? Yeah, almost three hundred now. Almost three hundred, and. There was a time, though, when it was certainly more of a rotation in and out as opposed to nowadays. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, before When I was first doing it, it would, you can just get the, the cheap, easy games, the $800, $900 games. But now you got to spend a little bit more money or you got to trade a little bit more and do a little more finagling. But this past week, I've gotten two. <laughs> but the main thing about collecting is that you don't usually lose money on these games, which is a nice investment. No, you don't. You usually try to pick the titles that you want first, and second, you don't want to lose the money. You want to keep it as a nice, stable investment or increase eventually. Mike, you're kind of in that same boat as well. You've definitely been accelerating your buying, and uh, if you follow Mike on Facebook, you see pictures of him with uh, usually a machine in the back, a new one, and uh, you're good for about one a week at least. Uh, yeah, I think uh, four this week, if, if you include. It's Monday. <laughs> By the way, we're recording this on a Monday. <laughs> well, I guess uh, we're talking about the last seven days. Uh, but yeah, if you include mine and Bruce's deal, that's two machines today, so uh, that's a good start to this week anyway. <laughs> You guys want to mention what your trade is? You don't have to if you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I guess it was inevitable inevitable that we would cross paths. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Bruce saw my catacomb that I posted on my Facebook page, and he's been harassing me for about a month straight. And finally, we worked out a deal for. Uh, he's given me a Paragon and an Alien Star, which are both games that are on my Pinside wish list. So uh, we're both happy in the exchange, and. Uh, yeah, pleasure doing pleasure so far. It's funny because I've known both of you for a long time, and I've talked to Bruce and I've talked to Mike. I'm like, Bruce's games are in tip-top shape. Mike's games are in tip-top shape. So you, you've got that peace of mind knowing that. And I know Bruce asked me, how's that catacomb play? And we played it in the league. And I said, it's pretty nice. I love it. I, I cannot wait. Uh, uh, eat your heart out, Jim, from the Sanctum, because now i got another stern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is something about those old Sterns, and a lot of people have said you, Bruce Nightingale, and your partner, Ron Hallett, are single-handedly responsible for the increase in price in the old Stern Electronic Games. Thank you very much, you son of a, you know what? (laughs) You're welcome, and uh, Chuck Webster is the biggest beneficiary right now with uh, the Quicksilver being bought for $7,500. Uh, congratulations, Chuck. You uh, (laughs) shout ahead. uh, But you know what? Again, here's the thing. If someone's willing to pay it, 
then I guess more power to him. More power to you. Well, I just heard about this, and I think Bruce probably owes me another twenty five hundred <laughs> US uh, on top of the deal now. Uh, yeah. People are listening to this going, "Wait a second, Paragon and Alien Star are two great games yes, for Catacombs." So I, I think you're gonna. I, I really believe this is a win for both of you Not because oh, yeah, we're both of the program. conditions of the games and, and the wants that you guys have. I think this is a good deal. People buying for the first time are finding themselves almost in an auction-like situation. You know, how quickly can you get it before someone else grabs it or do you have to outbid somebody? It, it certainly has changed over the years in buying used pinball machines. Well, for the first-time buyer, it definitely is very confusing to get into the market because they have a million questions and don't even know where to start. And I get a lot of questions like, hey, I'm looking to buy my first pinball machine and you know, there's a lot of different advice you can give, but uh, it's definitely challenging to get into pinball. Uh, if there is a good deal to be had that is posted somewhere, uh, it won't last long. It will last, you know, a matter of minutes sometimes. Uh, obviously, if it's a priced a little higher, then it'll be listed a little longer and you might have a better opportunity to get uh, that particular machine. In Canada, people use things like Kijiji. In the States, it's Craigslist. And, of course, eBay's both for international. And then a lot of the forums, too, whether it's Pinside or I know the Aussies use Aussie Arcade. There's a lot of different ways to find used pins for sale. But uh, any advice you'd give for someone buying their first used machine, Bruce? First, well, two pieces of advice. First, don't think. Just buy it. If you think it's a good deal, gonna buy it. Because guess what? You can always fix anything. Uh, you know, that was my biggest trepidation for buying my first game, which Mike knows. I bought a... I think it actually used to be your game at one time, the Lethal Weapon 3. That is possible. <laughs> You've had so many. I've had a couple. <laughs> so anyway, um, I was always worried. I'm like, okay, it's playing now, but what if it goes wrong? And advice... You can find anybody local, you can talk to people, get to know people in your group. Since you want to be in this hobby, you're going to get to know people in this hobby. And and we're pretty easy going, you know. Just throw us a couple bucks, we'll come out and check it out and go from there. You're, you're going to find good deals, so don't pass them up. Don't think. Don't If you overthink, you're done. You're going to lose it. Yeah, it's... I guess with the forums, with the help groups that we see on Facebook, uh, there is certainly a lot of people out there to help. And good chance if you're in a league, you probably know somebody firsthand, so that would help too. You know, we were talking about pricing of machines and, and how you have to jump on them very quickly. The latest game that came out from Stern is Beatles. Mm -hmm. And the Beatles pricing, there's a set price for the gold editions. By the way, I, I love the artwork. Uh, I have yet to play the game, but it looks beautiful. I'm excited to play it. I certainly love Old Sea Witch and the Beatles. That's one of my favorite themes that has come out in a long time. Mm -hmm. So the golds are set. It's the premiums and the diamonds that are negotiable, let's just say. Your thoughts on how they've structured the pricing for the Beatles games. First, I'll start with you, Bruce. Uh, it should be a set price. It you know you don't go into a car dealership and look for a Corvette at you know such and such price you know at a guessing price you know it's going to be the MSRP. I hate to say it, it just it makes a lot of you know you, you say if a, a vendor from vendor A sells it for twenty two thousand dollars and vendor B sells it for twenty four thousand dollars, you're going to now have animosity towards that guy that's getting two thousand dollars more for that game. And he could be just because that's his demand, and that's what he's going to sell it for. But now you're going to always think of that guy. Oh, he's overpriced. He's this. He's that. It's just just set the price. Be done. If it goes for that price, then if it doesn't, then knock it down. But make it set. 
I'm guessing that the reason Stern is doing this is to maybe give back a little bit to the distributors, but do you think this game was priced for the pinball player or more for the Beatles fans and collectors who may not be into pinball? Mm, I'd say a little bit of both, but more so probably for the Beatles market. Uh, the high-end pinball collectors that want to have one of everything or the top of everything will be interested, but the generic pinball audience is definitely not for them. That's unfortunately what bothers me, and I know I want everybody to succeed in pinball, but I am worried about this great title, this great design that I may never see on location or in league because it's perhaps priced out of the range, uh, and, and that bothers me to a little bit. I would love the opportunity to play it. It looks cool. Uh, we may not be able to see it, but we do have a lot of high-end collectors in our, you know, southwestern Ontario. So we may end up stumbling across one. And I just saw a post on Pinside yesterday. A local guy in London was mentioning, oh, I want to buy the, the highest edition. Is it really $25,000? And I commented, hey, if you do buy it, I'll be there to help you set it up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing I, uh, I see with, you know, Look at look at Total Nuclear Annihilation. They've only made 500 of them so far. Not even 500. We see a lot of them on location still. There's a lot still out there. So I think we will see it on location. Okay, that's good. So, you know, think about it. There's going to be 1,600 or 1,700 golds. The odds are there will be a couple out there in the wild making money. This all stems from, no matter what anyone says, it has to have stemmed from what happened with Supreme. They made these Supreme games, they rethemed the Spider-Man pin game, the home game, and put them out and they sold instantly, not to pinball players, but to that Supreme collector. And they were probably thinking, we can do that with Beatles. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how I feel about this model. I, I feel like the Stern is trying to push the push to the edge to see just how far they can push before uh, they get you know resistance and it's like almost like an experiment let's just see how high a price we can charge for a machine and you know still get away with it so it's, I wonder if it's an experiment for them to a certain extent hey I want Stern and every other company to make money I don't want them to have to lose their shirt and the smaller companies if they have a bad title or some problems with manufacturing that can really handcuff them and hurt the business you know Stern has luckily done some amazing titles lately it's been a banner year for Stern but they could probably be able to manage a rough title and they've had some rough titles in the past and we, we know about the Wrestlemania not doing as well again they can sustain something like that but they're in the business to make money and they're in the business to keep manufacturing going so I get it I, I see why there's this price point on there I just don't know if the growth of pinball will happen from this and it's not Stern's responsibility to do that but I just wonder what you think again about where this will lead to do you think we'll see Stern do more of these type of limited edition titles oh yeah definitely it's it's going to be inevitable because they know they can make the money if they have a captive audience the money's out there take advantage of it if it's not out there the market will show it and you know reflect in it do you think it's always going to be tied into a kapow is it going to always be these high-end kapow titles or are they going to go off on their own and do the same thing it can but most likely with kapow he gets to get better licenses because yeah. he does have his contacts through the, the slot machines and everything else so he can get some really good titles so we'll see you know Anything's possible. He got the Beatles, which is a very hard title. You're right about the license with 
Joe Kamenkow getting the Beatles. And we've heard, and again, this isn't public knowledge, but we've heard a million dollars for this license. Mm-hmm. So at 2,000 machines, you're paying $500 a machine for the license. Uh, and I don't think collectors, whether they're diehard pinball fans or you know the first-time buyers, will care about paying for that price if it's a title they like. Exactly. But it's how available will these be? You know, I guess it's interesting because I'm curious how many games Stern would do of, say, Iron Maiden or Deadpool or some of these other titles or whatever's next coming out. 2,000 seems like a number that would be a little low for what they normally do. Well, what, 500 per machine for the 2,000 machines. That, 2, would, machines, that, that gets you your million dollars. Machines. That doesn't seem like, uh, you know, cost prohibitive to, to get bigger and better licenses. You know? it, is, it is in some ways, because don't forget, their manufacturer right now, I think, is at 50 or 60 machines per day. So you have to have, if you want to keep the line moving, you have to have other things backing up ready to go. Well, we know the turnaround time is about a year for a pinball machine. So you either have to bring more volts in, or you have to have something else right behind it that's ready to go to keep that manufacturing line going, which means more stress on the developers and everything else and the engineers and everything else working. I think one thing about Stern is they've done a very good job of keeping that line moving. If you go to sternpinball.com and you see the current titles, I think, I'm guessing, because I'm not in front of my computer right now, but there's maybe 12. So that's 12 that they're manufacturing. So to do the uh, proposed 60 a day, that should be easy to do with that many titles and, and the demand that's out there for the newer titles and some of these classic titles as well. So the Beatles is a rethemed sea witch with more bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. We like some of these old Stern games. We're all in agreement about yeah. that. As, as you know, you have Catacomb and, and uh, Stargazer and what was it? Astronomo, Trident, uh, stars. Uh, stars. Yeah, there you go. And I have a big game in the back. Oh, another one of Bruce's favorites. Which is the next one you want to see them retheme? Which you can pick one game. What would it be by Stern Electronics? Stargazer. Yeah, because of the spinners? spinners. Three spinners. Mm, yeah, that's good selection. But I don't really want them to retheme it, though. Do you? Or don't you want them to? They're going to. They are going to? They're going to. Because guess what? You have the design there. The design is done. Yeah. Now you can tweak that design and tweak a little bit of rules. And guess what? Less production time. You can bring it down the line faster. The faster it gets on that line, the faster you can make money. Less development time means more money in the end. And I guess if you attach a license to it, then it just makes it even bigger and better. All right. I bet you we see some more of these classic titles come out and rethemed or whatever the case may be because, you know, the design is already done. Maybe you put a little uh, DMD or LCD display Mm -hmm. on that to make it a little bit better and uh, Bob's your uncle and and we can see some of these classic games which are hard to find and they go so quickly uh, as is the case with Quicksilver and Chuck Webster. But, I mean, that seems to be the real difficulty in finding these. The guys from Australia... To find some of these titles, it's so hard to do. Very hard. It's it's almost impossible for some of these guys because they only imported so many. Who knows how many made it through to 30 years, being scrapped, being parted out, everything like that. So it is hard for those guys especially. Even in, the, in Europe now, it's even hard. I'd hate to be a collector in Australia or, or Europe. I mean, it would be so much more difficult. You'd have to travel so much further. You'd fight. get way less deals. You have to fight tooth and nail to get the deals that are out there. It's We have it um, you pretty, know, pretty made compared to what they have to go through. Okay, I know about some of the deals you guys have done in the past, some of the games you bought. I mean, I think Bruce drove, I don't know, 12-plus hours to basically buy a cabinet that was a rat's nest. Or, mm-hmm. or What are some of the craziest buys you've done? Bruce, I'll start with you. Well, the, the definitely the 24 hours to, uh, to Arkansas for a 
body of uh, cheetah is one. Uh, yeah, I have nuts. <laughs> That's one of them. And then uh, I drove all the way out in the beginning. Uh, I drove from Rochester to North Carolina for a Twilight Zone. Oh, my God. Me owning a Twilight Zone. <laughs> and uh, on the way back, I went through a snowstorm. Seven hours of a snowstorm. And I kept on going through and made it all the way home and drove through like 30 miles per hour. That was more about the journey. What about you as far as... You've had some epic journeys, too. That's basically the basis of the Canadian Pinball Podcast. You and Tony talking about your treks to go find crazy games. All right, craziest game, craziest trek. What do you got there, Mike? Well, I have nothing like Bruce's. We're, we're wimps compared to that. I think the furthest we've gone is maybe four and a half hours away to pick up an avatar. Uh, in North Bay and drove straight there, drove straight back. But that was a great deal. I remember that. It was a good deal and there was, uh, I think, 58 plays on the machine. It was like showroom showroom floor. Um, So, and uh, we did have a, we did have to go through a snowstorm once. We were picking up four machines in the back of Tony's truck, I believe, and on the way back we hit a major snowstorm and we had the machines wrapped and everything, but it it was still like snow piling on and it was, uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, It was kind of scary at times actually because it was pretty bad, but we made it back safe. All the machines got home dry and, uh, you know, everything was safe and sound, but yeah, um, nothing epic uh, in terms of travel time. Like Bruce and even our friend Ray, I know he's gone on some epic journeys where it's like 20-hour drive straight there and back, and uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I got one more. I blew up a trailer coming back with two Rush 2049s on the back of a small trailer. The axle blew up. Oh, no. Dragged the whole trailer on the side of the road, oh. almost flipped it. And then so what What did we have to do? Drive two hours to go home, get the bigger trailer. And put the small trailer on the big trailer. Oh my god! Oh boy, that is funny. <laughs> Looking back on it, it's like, yeah, my dad's like, never again. I'm like, yeah, we will. Do. We'll do it again. Well, something you and your dad have done is helped the pinball industry immensely with moving games. And Mike, you've got a tight basement there. It's a, it's a tough maneuver to get the games in your place. Uh, a little easier at Silverball Saloon, but there are a lot of tight places like like Mike has. So. There's a thing called pinball lifters. And Bruce, do you want to tell how that can help people? Uh, you can use your brain and not your back. Uh, we uh, convert a uh, ATV motorcycle jack. We put an adapter on it and wheels. You can put on it also to move your pinball machines easier. I saw that at the Sanctum, too. I've seen them before, but you donated one at the Sanctum, too. And uh, it's a great way to help move machines. And where can people go find those? Uh, www.pinballlifter.com. Oh, and when Bruce came over with uh, the machines today, I heard about this pinballlifter.com for like 300 episodes in a row. And um, when he showed up, I was all excited. I felt like all this pinball lifter technology would be there. Basically, robots would practically move the machines for us. But um, the pinball lifter that he brought was my back, my legs, my hands, and and his back. So that was pinball lifter today. But the the hitch receiver, I did make myself. (laughs) The hitch receiver was a good idea, actually. Yes, I, I... I was impressed with that. <laughs> the joys of collecting with two guys who collectively have had 500 plus games, Mike Dimas and Bruce Nightingale. We appreciate you coming on today and uh, time to eat some chicken here at Social A. I'm in. I'm in too. Thank you, sir. All right. Talk to you later. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Pinball Profile. Email us pinballprofile at gmail.com. And please subscribe on either iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I'm Jeff Teolis. Yeah.